Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast-growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining us this week. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Enterprise Sales Development. I'm Eric Quanstrom, CMO at Science. Well, today's episode was actually a very exciting one for me because I got to speak with a fellow podcaster, someone who I respect, someone whose views are very much in line with my own on how to do outbound, how to do it well. I'm talking, of course, about John Barrows. John Barrows runs J Barrows Sales Training, has for the last decade, super successful. You can see all the logos that he's worked with and then have hired him. It's a who's who of the tech space and beyond. And he's been really quite prolific with that firm, largely because he espouses some very believable principles. You're going to hear us get into the adherence to ADA, something that's near and dear to my own heart as well. You're going to hear us get into, and and frankly, John breaks it down. You're going to listen to this about halfway through. He talks about his formula for using ultimately the ultimate cold call, cold email Way to unpack your script, his formula. He's given it away for free on this podcast. Listen for that because it will improve your game no matter what, no matter what level you are in the sales developments field. Also gives a ton of of free advice, hard-won insights and learnings around his client experiences, what it takes to teach, train, and be effective in today's modern sales environment. We get into a a little bit of generational, you know, how to manage millennials or Gen Z even better. So this episode is just packed with a lot of really good stuff. You're going to love it. Without further ado, let's get right to it. Here I am with John Barrows. and, And, you know, John, you've run a successful consulting practice now for the last decade. You've probably seen everything from A to Z, right? In the SDR world. Is that a pretty fair? Yeah, and more, assessment? I think, yes. <laughs> pretty, well, look, I always say I've, I've seen it all, but I'm never, uh, I'm always surprised with what comes up next. So I'm, I'm sure I haven't seen it all. Well, so diving right in, what are the most familiar patterns of, of like ways and times when people are coming to JB Sales, mm-hmm. especially when, you know, their, their sales development program isn't performing as, it expe- as expected? Yeah, and I think that's all of them right now. Um, and, and I'm going to segment out specifically with SDRs and BDRs, right? I, I think we're going through a massive shift right now in the in 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 all in the entire world as it relates to well, in the SaaS world mainly as it relates to the predictable revenue model. I think it was great when it came out 15 years ago, right? Because when Salesforce first launched it, it was a great way for companies like us, you including me, to build internal sales organizations at scale, right? Because what you would do is it was all segmentation of roles, and you would hire some 22 year old kid, pay him you know, base salary plus a little, get them to cut their teeth and then they would grow into an AE and then enterprise and go from there. And I think that works with large organizations like Salesforce when you have the SMB mid-market and enterprise segmentation there. Because when a kid comes out of the SDR or BDR role, there's a little bit of a softer landing if they start in SMB, right? But most organizations aren't big enough to support that. So they throw these poor kids directly into full cycle sales of mid-market or enterprise and they fail miserably. Yeah. And so I think right now, and, and also the majority of what an SDR is doing right now, and I'm not saying the value of an SDR, I'll just make sure very clear. I think SDRs are extremely valuable if used the right way. Yes. But the way that they're being used right now is basically as a marketing 
arm of the organization. They're taking these cadence tools. And most companies I work with, they do one of two things when they have a cadence tool, like a sales loft or an outreach or any of the, the you know, of, of them that are out there. They either marketing controls the message and they create the messaging and they stuff it into these templated sequences or cadences and they tell the reps, you really have no autonomy on this, just hit play. I fundamentally don't understand why companies do that. Like, why not just hire a marketing ops person and you know go to the boards with it type of thing versus hiring a whole bunch of SDRs? Or the other approach is they let the SDRs do whatever they want. And then it becomes this, this nightmare rat's nest of stuff. And so let's put it bluntly, marketing does not know how to write sales-ready messaging. Very few people do. And so that's why I think you're constantly seeing this degradation of response rates and all that other stuff, because it's just, we're doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. We're just pushing more crap into the top and sending out more emails. When I mean, when COVID hit, I cringed because there were so many leaders said, oh my God, our pipeline's empty. Let's double down on activity. And it's like, are you out of your mind? Like in a good economy, executives don't want to talk to 22-year-old inexperienced kids. In a bad economy, are you out of your mind telling them to double down on these activities? So it's they come to us when they really have either built something and they know it's not working, they know they got to change, or they're building something and they want to do it different and do it the right way. Well, and and just to add on to your point, I think that that my peeps, you know, wearing the CMO title, marketers ruin everything, right? Like that's the... (laughs) (laughs) That's what a sales rep will definitely say. I mean, look, my background's marketing, my degree's in marketing. So I have a very, very healthy respect for marketing. Well, true that. But like the, the thing that, or the point that I like to make, and I see this all the time, especially with certain clients, is where the marketing leader, the marketing team will get a hold of any kind of outbound messaging. And I like to call it the problem of like, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, yeah. right? Like marketers who are used to building websites, building collateral, talking all about themselves, feature and benefit, like me, me, me. They think that that you know one to one outreach is somehow very similar, right. and so they they like load up on. Well, here's why everyone thinks we're great. Here's right. why everyone like loves us. Here's why you should too. Mm-hmm. And they lose the the most important first ingredient, which is like why you, <laughs> why now, right. why care. I care. And I, and I think that's where I, I wish that more marketers and sales professionals would somehow, some way, spend a, do a stint in customer service or customer mm. success. Yeah. And, and I forget, um, I think it's Tim over at Elation or something like that. Um, I had him on my podcast a while ago, the VP of so Their model, which I, I love, right? Because again, I think the predictable revenue as model is broken because it's not customer centric in any way, shape, or form, right? Nobody likes to be handed off five times before they actually talk to somebody who they want to talk about, right? And requalified every single one of those times. So what they do is they do SDRs. But instead of SDRs to full cycle sales, they do SDRs to account management. And now those SDRs are responsible for cross-sell, upselling, and, and renewals, which gets them the closing experience, but in a much safer environment. Yeah. But they also get to learn how the client uses the product, the, the use cases, the problems that they have, all that. So then when they get promoted, and sometimes they stay in customer success, but then when they get promoted, now as an AE, they got stories to tell, they got use cases, they got knowledge, and they understand how to sell the right way because they know know what happens when a bad customer comes in based on false pretenses 
or false expectations. Yeah. So I really think that that's the transition we need to see in the short term. I think we're going to full back to full cycle sales supported by ABM and a lot of the stuff that you guys are doing from an outbound standpoint to support a full cycle sales rep. Right. And then SDRs and BDRs are ultimately just going to roll up under marketing all, all, all the way. Right. And be more like salaried positions, pushing buttons, which is fine. Like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying I would not treat that as a sales role. I, I would not treat somebody who is sitting behind a desk, hammering out, you know, 50 to 100 uh, sequences, cadences, whatever you want to call them on a daily basis with no thought put into them. I would not call that a sales role. Right. And, and is this something too that like you're, you're putting your money where your mouth is and advising clients? Like, mm-hmm. hey, here's a way to think about kind of like your operations. Here's a way to think about your SDR team or role or department going forward. Absolutely. Now, you know, so I advise on a lot of this stuff, but I am a trainer, right? So, you know, let's call it, there's, there's consultants and there's trainers. I, I like to say I'm like the grandparents. I come and I play with the kids and I get out and then it's the manager's, you know, job to play, you know, be parent about it. But yeah, when I get in front of them, I talk to them about, you know, here's, here's a different model, something to consider, but here's the right in my opinion, way to do it. But look, at the end of the day, it depends on who you're selling to, what you're selling and all that sure. stuff, right? I mean, if, you're ma- if your market is mostly SMB and it's a sub $5,000 ACV type of thing, then guess what? You're probably going to do a ton of volume with, you know, with, with outbound stuff, you know, automation and marketing. Out of necessity. Yeah, just out of necessity. It doesn't make any sense for a low ACV. You know what I mean? Like, I still struggle with clients who hire a sales rep to sell a $500 product, right? Like, right. that doesn't make a lot of sense because you've got to sell a lot of those for that sales rep to be worth it. So that's why your volume has to be massive. You can't have four or five, six calls. You can't have complex sales in that world, right? But yeah, if you're, if you're selling something that's somewhat complex, multiple decision makers, a decent size, you know, ACV and stuff like that, then people want to be guided through that process with somebody who's consistent. And so that's why I think it's really important to prepare the people who that want to get into sales to, to understand that full cycle, but not pretend like pushing buttons is actually what the job is all about. Right, right. Well, let's get back to what you called it. And I, I love this term, sales-ready messaging. Yeah. Because I think that, that there's no one that's listening to this podcast now that can't benefit from sharpening their tools, sharpening their sword yeah. with better sales ready messaging. What are the kinds of things that you teach and train on there, even to get into that conversation, even to be be prepared to have a sales ready message (laughs) workshop? So look, this is kind of my my overarching theory, and then I'll get into the specifics. But the over my overarching theory here or opinion is that the holy grail of outbound, right, is personalization and relevance. Yeah. If if I can be personalized and relevant, I win, right? I usually win. But the problem is personalization takes time, right? So so that you can't scale that in any way. So if you force me to choose between personalization or relevance, I'm going relevance all day long. All day long. Right? Just because you know I went to the University of Maryland does not buy you any points these days. You know, but yet I still get these emails from people saying, Hey John, I you went to U Maryland, go Terps, right? And, <laughs> but then they hard cut to some value proposition that literally has nothing to do with what I would be interested in. And these days, I think you actually lose points for fake personalization. You know what I mean? I would agree. Yeah. Like when I see that, I just roll my eyes. I'm a 46 year old man. I was blackout drunk for four years in college. Like you referencing college to me is a complete joke, right? So relevance though, 
And we teach, and I'll, I'll break it down a little bit. We teach this, this messaging equation that I'll walk through that if people are listening, they can write it down. But we also teach what, what I call interest questions. And you'll be familiar. You know, um, you know, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, right? Of course. Oh, yeah. I don't Always like that. closing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hate the movie. I think it's a terrible sales movie. But, but those eight minutes of Alec Baldwin's career, the best in his career, right? Um, and in there, he talks about ABC, always be closing. But he also talks about ADA. AIDA, right? Oh, yeah. Attention, interest, desire, action. That and that to me is the link, I think, between sales and marketing because there's both, we both have that understanding that first we got to get somebody's attention, then we got to be interested, then when they have to have a desire, then they have to move to act. Yeah. So if we think of an email, right, and we're looking at it on our phone, well, the subject line's got to get my attention. I got to look at that and be like, is that something? But then even those first 10 words that are right on my phone, the first 10 words of that sentence, those are just as important as the subject line these days because I can read it right here. And so now those 10 words, they got to get me interested. And so what am I interested in? What is the, you know, it's a common thing that everybody in the world loves talking about themselves. Well, how do you make it about me? You can ask a you you can you can personalize it. Hey, John, I was on your blog, whatever that was. Or you can ask a question. And so we call them interest questions. So I'm gonna say, like, here's a question. Instead of John Go Terps, right? Hey, John, as a CEO of a sales training organization, how have you made the switch from on-site to remote delivery and retained your revenue streams? Boom. That is an extremely relevant question you can ask somebody like me. And guess what? You can fire that off to 50 other CEOs of sales training organizations if you want. And when I ask you that question, the goal of that is to get you to open the email so I can give you the answer. I'm not right. asking the question to get the answer from you. I'm getting. The, I'm asking the question to pique your curiosity to be like, why did you ask that question? Right. Well, the reason I ask is because sales ready messaging. We basically solve that problem. You know what I mean? And I so, totally know what you mean. By the way, like fun fact, I'm so a preacher, if you will, in my own little uh, patch of ADA model going forward. I mean, the model is actually created over 100 years ago. Yeah. By 1898, St. Elmo Lewis, yeah. He's St. Elmo Lewis. Yeah. Like, <laughs> few people know this like bit of business history. He used to work for NCR, National Cash Register, yep. which later on became or is best known for the phrase ringing up sales, right? Like because they used to have those cash registers that ring rung yep. whenever the dollars would come out. Yep. So it is so appropriate because it's how the human mind actually interprets a scenario, right? Like you can't mm -hmm. have interest before awareness. It doesn't work mm -hmm. to the human mind. You can't have desire before you have interest, right? Mm -hmm. So every, and you can't take action unless you desire that action mm -hmm. to be taken. So mm -hmm. it's literally, it can happen over months. It can happen in microseconds, but either way, the ADA model, like as a formula, so to speak, for yep. governing thought and action is actually very congruent and coherent to the brain. Love it. And that's exactly why we use it because that's the framework of our email. It's a framework of our phone call. It's a framework of how we do video, right? You got to have an intro. Your intro has to get my attention. So don't waste those first five seconds with, hey, how you doing? You know, this is John Barrows, Thrive Network. How you doing today? You know what I mean? Like that's a waste of time because you are not getting my interest and you're not doing a pattern interrupt either because I've heard that a billion times before by every other sales rep who calls me. So you have to get my attention. So an email, same thing, get my attention, get me interested. But then give me something like, why do I want this? And then what's your call to action, right? right. And, that, and going back to that sales ready messaging, this is what I found that, that most companies have the hardest time with, period, is, is getting something down to a, a, a concise enough message that can fit on one scroll on an iPhone mm -hmm. or 
when somebody says, all right, fine, kid, you, like if I'm cold calling somebody and somebody says, all right, you caught me, what do you got? Right. What can I say in those 10 seconds, like literally 10 seconds, that's going to get you to, to continue this conversation with me? And the elevator listen, pitch. Yeah. And, and, it, and, but this is why the elevator pitch sucks because the elevator pitch sucks because it's all, it's all typically about- all about us, super cheesy and way too long. Like I'll give you one. Uh, you'll love this. I used to sell IT services, right? Outsourced IT services to the SMB market, and I didn't know what I was doing when I was 23 years old. So, Is I, it but Staples? I Staples. Is that right? Yeah, got sold to Staples. Yeah, but first we were self-funded, no money, nothing there, right? And so I was our sales, marketing, PR department, and I wasn't that bright. So I, I just realized, like, I didn't have any special powers, but I knew I could outwork most people. So I came up with my equation as far as what my metrics were, and I realized I had to make. $1,600 a month or $400 a week to get eight meetings a month. Okay. Which, for those of you doing the math out there, that's a 0.05 conversion ratio, which is horrendous. But, anyways, I just knew it. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make $400. And I came up with my elevator pitch because I thought that's what you did. I thought you'd come up with a killer elevator pitch and you just say it to people and you make it rain. Right. And to this day, I said it so many times and I was so proud of it. To this day, 20 years later, I can still recite it without even reading it. You want to hear it? You got you to go. So I'm taking my glasses off for those people listening to this. I, you can back me up here. I'm taking my glasses off. I cannot read without my glasses and I'm going to shut my eyes. Ready? <laughs> here it goes. With something like this. Hi, this is John Barrows with Thrive Networks. We do outsourced IT support for small to mid-sized companies in the Boston area. And we take a really unique approach to manage your IT infrastructure by combining the best of what people in technology have to offer. We tie our network operations center and our managed services to your environment so we can take care of all the small things on a proactive basis. So when the engineers come on site, they can take care of the higher level, more strategic initiatives to help drive your business forward. I'd love to talk to you about your IT support needs. If you could call me back at 617-529-7271. This is John Barrows with Thrive Network, 617-529-7271. And I was so proud of that. I would be like, mm, nailed it again. Like pitch, tone, everything was perfect on that one, right? And then I started looking at my numbers. I wasn't getting a damn call back. I would get more callbacks when I would screw up the voicemail than I would nail the... Per- I did this one by mistake one time. I was like, hi, this is John Barrows with Thrive Networks. We do outsource... I, I tease- oh, shit. I'm sorry. I was, I, I'm trying a new pitch there. That was a disaster. Look, we fix computers. You got problems with your computers. Call me back at six months. I got more callbacks with that approach when I did it, right? So the elevator pitch doesn't work because it's a pitch. Sales-ready messaging. This is what I've been working on for the past four years to figure out a formula that we can use to create sales-ready messaging. And this is it. And for everybody listening, grab a pen, write it down. Mm. Starts with a persona. Ideally, a persona in an industry. So like VPs of sales and SaaS, something like that. Then what's a problem or challenge that they are faced with in today's environment? Right. So let's go back to marketing. I think a big failure for us in marketing is we come up with these battle cards of like personas, like CMO, Sally, she's, she likes to be creative. Right. And they don't update it for like five years. So they're giving the basics of what in today's environment, 2022, what does that CMO care about in SaaS? Right. Right. So what are those challenges now? So it's persona plus challenge plus component of your solution that aligns with that challenge. So for me, for instance, I do sales training, but I got filling the funnel, I got driving to close. In those, I got meeting, execution, negotiation, objection, handling. So I got all these things, right? So what piece of what I do aligns with that? And if I applied that piece, what would the result be? And there's your message. So now I can create messaging that sounds like this. VPs of sales, persona, whose main priority is keeping their reps motivated and engaged now that everybody's working from home. Leverage are 
live remote training to give them some uh, tools and techniques to drive immediate results while keeping them motivated with some exercise and we bring some energy and I'd love to talk to you about it. That equation gets you about 80% of the way there. You still got to smooth it out to make it sound normal. But now I can create that relevant message to the VP of sales in the SaaS industry, and I can get a list of 50 VPs in the SaaS industry, and I can go to work on the phone. Hey, thanks for taking my call. You got 30 seconds to tell you why I'm calling before I hang up, before you hang up on me. Sure, fine. Who is this? What do you want? This is John with JB Sales. And the reason for my call today is I'm working with a lot of other VPs like you whose main priority right now is doing this, and they're leveraging our solution to do that. We'd love to talk to you about it. What's the best way to get some time in your calendar? This is so much better. And by the way, for folks like myself who've been on the buy side for the last two decades plus, who get every form of inbound, it fits this persona archetype like less than 1% of the time. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because it, we're still in the spray and pray. Like, And I just don't get it. I, I think everybody understands that quality is the answer, but they're still stuck on quantity. And I think I know the reason why. Right. Uh, I, I'm a Gen Xer, right? I'm 46 years old. Okay. Same here. We grew up with a volume game. Like when it was when it was in sales, it was hit the phones, you know, go, go, go. It's a numbers game, pure and simple. Okay. So that's what we were born into effectively. Yeah. Now, now Gen Xers are mostly the decision makers, right? So we're the man, we're the bosses, we're the VPs, we're the whatevers. Okay. And now we got a team that we're trying to coach. And it's not easy to coach to quality. It really is. Plus, plus with the downward pressure from VCs and all this other stuff and and, and results, 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 results. So there's there's almost like a it's a no-win situation. Like I know I want to do quality, but I got I'm getting yelled at by my VCs for more for more pipelines. So let's let's go. The easiest thing to manage is numbers. Right. You didn't make your 50 dials today, you're fired. Why didn't you hit your 100 sequences this week? You know what I mean? Like that's super easy, lazy management. Hard management is taking the time to sit down with reps and coach them on how to do quality, coach them on how to give a shit, coach them on how to actually care about the person that they're reaching out to. Like it's, yeah, exactly. How to actually listen as a, right? like a great place to start. <laughs> yeah, well, that, yeah, like, that's a whole nother conversation about actually listening to people and paying attention as opposed to thinking about the next thing you're going to say so you can pitch them on something. Well, yeah. And, and again, that gets back to the, the orientation of being me first versus mm-hmm. being the other first. Mm-hmm. I often say that the SDR role is impossible in many respects because you're asking people that have never done a job to actually call into, whether you're calling into the finance suite and you're calling into even like a controller on up, right? To the CFO. You've never like managed like an accrual or closed, you know, closed a quarter. Or done any of these things? Like you it's a foreign language. You can't have empathy. You can't have empathy when you. I, I tell uh, executives all the time, or everybody this all the time. People ask you, oh, what you know, what would you do, and you know, how do you ramp fast in sales and all this other stuff? I said, forget all the techniques, all of it. Business acumen is what you should learn. Like if you can learn business and, and what it you know what it takes to be in those roles and 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 ask questions to people and all that other stuff, you'll you might not come out of the gate strong, obviously, but I promise you, you know you'll you'll leapfrog your your competition, if you will, in the future if you take that approach. That's why here, for instance, at JB Sales, we practice what we preach as well. Like when some, when a kid comes on board here, or when I when I say kid, by the way, that's a Boston thing. You could be fifty years old, I'll call you kid. But when somebody comes on here, I don't give them their like. Here's our ICP, and and here's a here's a list of clients to go after. I don't give them oh here's your persona cards, memorize them and go. I tell I give them my ten biggest. I give them my ten best cast not biggest best customers, 
And I say, go find out the commonalities of why these are our best customers. The nuances here. What stage of the business are they at? Where are they? What's their challenge? What's their ACV? Who do they sell to? Right? Come back to me and tell me why those 10 are the best 10. Because there's commonalities there, I promise you. And then when it comes to the ICP or the personas, I say, we go after VPs of sales, CROs, and VPs of enablement. Those are our three main personas. Go out and figure out what these people care about. Yeah. And so what they have to do is they have to come, they have to Google like VP of enablement, priorities, challenges, 2022, holy smokes, read a few articles, go do something, you know, post something on LinkedIn saying, Hey, I'm selling a VPs of enablement. And I've never, you know, I don't even know what a VP enablement is. Is there any VPs of enablement out there that would spend 15 minutes with me so I can ask them a few questions? And they then have to come back with like a one page book report on what these people care about today, what their problems are today and how we can then help them. And now once they have that foundation where they know what a really good client looks like and they have some genuine empathy for the people that they're calling into because they've understand at least the basics of their role, now they can be genuinely curious, which I think is the superpower of a sales rep. Superpower. If you you can can hear it in tone, by the way, like curiosity is one of these things where, oh, tell me more. Right. Like, and actually being able to drop that kind of like phrasing, it's actually a question Mm -hmm. without a question mark. Yep. Almost never hear that. <laughs> like on a cold no. call. Well, because they're going through the motions. They're checking yeah. out the boxes. They're doing the bants. They're doing the medic. They're doing the whatever the hell you want to call the qualification criteria they have to do so they can flip it over to an SQL so they can get their stupid points at the end of the month, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's why is they they go through the like robots. And when I took when I go back to SDRs and BDRs, we are, it's not their fault. We are turning them into robots. And I just don't understand the benefit of that. Yeah, there, there's very little benefit to that. Yeah, all the way around to the business, to the rep, to the to the profession itself. You know, I mean, it's it's painful. But- well, and what's funny too is talking about like getting to the numbers or managing to the numbers. If you introduce curiosity, if you introduce business acumen, my bet is that you're going to have rock solid numbers yeah. almost like across the board in fewer activities. Way less activities, uh, but but the patience for that is not high, and that's the problem, right? I, I almost got—I'll give you an example. I almost got fired from Xerox, so I, I worked at Dewalt Power Tools. That was my first job out of college, and my second job was Xerox. And they brought me in. I, I guess I interviewed well because uh, fun to interview. Like the guy, I walked in. I thought it was going to be one VP, and I was sitting across the table from six of them. And the guy, no joke. As I walked in, he slides a copier spec sheet across the table to me. And I don't know if you've ever seen copier spec sheets, but the font on them is like 0.2. And he goes, you got 10 minutes. I want you to go come back and sell us this copier. And I was like, what? And and I don't read a lot and my memory is horrible. So I'm like, all right. So I I threw the thing in the trash. I go in the lobby. I throw the thing in the trash. And I waited for 10 minutes. I come back in and the guy was like, all right, so what do you got for us? I'm like, I don't know. I got some questions. And he was like... Okay. I was like, do you guys use copiers? He goes, yeah. I go, scale of one to 10, how happy are you with your copiers? He goes, eight. I go, what would make it a 10? He's like, well, if they had duplexing and an extra paper drawer, I think it would really help us out. I go, cool. I got a showroom around the corner of the copiers that duplex and have extra stuff. You want to go check it out? And all six of them sat there and they were like, holy shit. Uh, so when can you start? So I, I hired, I, they hired me. Masterclass. 
right? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to deal with that. Sell me this pen. Shut up. You know right. what I mean? Like, give me a break. Um, it, it, by the way, for anybody else who gets sell me a pen, take take the pen, throw it away, and be like, hey, I got a checkbook here. I want to write a, a, a thousand dollar check for to, to you, but I, I'm having a hard time finding <laughs> something to write with. Um, do you have anything, by the way? Uh, you know, I could sell you a pen for nine hundred ninety five dollars if that was the case for crime. So, anyways, that's just a little tip for stupid managers who ask that dumb question. But right. I came in. I came in at a high level, right? So they put me in this territory that had six or seven reps in it in the past three years. And it was fed, it was state and local government, which is even worse. I mean, think about selling copiers now, which is bad enough, to the state and state and local government. Brutal. Because they had so many reps in there for such a short period of time, no, there was no trust. So yeah. as most of my private sector friends were out there flipping copiers and doing that stuff, I was going in and people were literally kicking me out of their office. They were like, whatever, we'll see another one of you guys in three, six months, whatever it is, I don't care. So I was forced to take a ground up design thinking approach to selling. I could not just churn and burn sales. So I, what did I do? I stopped selling. And I just started... I went, there was one building and I went to the top of it with all my accounts in it. And I would just every day, I would circle the building all the way down, shake hands, kiss babies, understand workflows, not sell shit. And, but what I was doing while I was developing these relationships with people, I was paying attention to workflows, to copy click rates and how much they were spending. And about six months in, my boss literally almost fired me. He's like, you haven't sold a damn thing yet. He's like, I thought you were some king shit in sales. We hired you because we thought you were good, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, give me time. I go, you guys have burned this territory to the ground. There's no way, but I'm working on it. Right? He's like, all right, you don't have that much more. So he gave me two more months, So, but not. I forced three. So at nine months in, I ended up going to all my clients with mapped out office click-throughs, how much I could save them by going from analog to digital and all that other stuff. And I was like, hey, do you think you guys might be interested? And it was like cash and checks. And so I remember dumping like three huge, like massive contracts on his table nine months in. I'm like, see... Shut the fuck up. Just give me some goddamn time. Now, <laughs> I was your jackass Boston kid who sure. somehow had some confidence to be able to stand up to their boss, okay? And force that patience. Yeah. These poor kids coming out of school don't have the ability to do that, nor, sh nor should they in a lot of ways. So they're just doing what their bosses are telling them and they're doing the wrong things in so many ways. Well, you know, it's interesting. Your story is, is like anecdotally like an amazing story. I love that. <laughs> But it, it it has hallmarks of it of being kind of like dropped into the the deep end of the pool, and you had an idea of how you were going to swim, right? Like you mm -hmm. had an idea of you may not have made it to the wall yet, you know, under the yep. the six month you know window, so to speak. But damn it, you were going to get there, and you were going to do it, you know, with your own breaststroke. And so, is that the problem where we're just not giving enough leash or rope or whatever metaphor you want to use to mm -hmm. you know kind of largely millennials but now almost gen i yeah, guess you gen z getting killed yeah where they have their own figure it out light bulb moments because they uh, have to well see so we're going to uh, t yes um a couple of things though this is where First, you know, remind me to come back on that with experiments. I think every company should allow. It's almost like Google. You know how Google allows like one day a week to just be creative or whatever the hell it is. I think we should allow the same thing in our in our teams. Right, seventy five, eighty percent of the time you're going to do what I tell you to do, but I'm going to give you twenty percent of your time to go figure something out and try something. And but 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 I have to give you a framework here. So yeah. Morgan, who used to work for me and was on this podcast, we actually did a keynote on this about how millennials and Gen Xers can work together. And here's, here's my big picture uh, macroeconomic thought process on this. You and I growing up, 
we were the last generation to like, I don't know about you, but when I was at home and I was bored, my mom would literally just kick me out of the house and say, go play. Right. And she'd be like, you know, don't kill anybody. Don't burn anything down. Be home by dinner, whatever. So I'd get on my bike. I'd ride three miles downtown. I'd, I'd burn shit. I'd break stuff, whatever. And I was home by dinner. So we were able to figure it out. But now well, we my were daughter latchkey and, kids. Yeah, we were latchkey kids. We went home. The TV was on. It was like, okay, yeah. mom, like, what's up? Now, though, every, and I see this with my daughter. She's 11. Every moment of every kid's life is structured. So they go from school to this hour to this hour. Then they have their iPad for 30 minutes. Then they have soccer practice for two hours. Then they have to do their homework for two hours. And they have to... Da, da. So literally every moment of these poor kids' lives is structured. And yeah. oh, by the way, they're taught to the test now, right? So yeah. it's no longer critical thinking. It's the MCAS. It's whatever it is. So now you have this kid who comes out of school in a in a very structured environment, being told what to do pretty much their entire lives, okay? Yeah. They get out into the real world, and then they have managers like you and I looking at them and saying, figure it out. And, and they look at you sideways, like, what are you talking about? Figure it out. Tell me what to do. Yeah, where's my training and support and understanding and empathy? and Yeah, and, and we need that. But the gut reaction to tell me what to do from regular people, like, like, you know, the average of you and I yeah. is, okay, you don't know what to do. I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. Here's a script. Here's a template. This is what exactly to say. And yeah. what does a kid who's been taught to the test their entire lives do when they're given a script? They read the script. Yeah. They push play on the sequence. So the answer and, isn't. And by scripts. the way, real quick, like what's the worst criticism that you could level against, say a cold caller? Oh, they sounded scripted. They sounded scripted, right? And don't get me wrong. I, I believe in the power of scripts just because if you don't know, you don't know, right? Like it, you need something to hold on to, but make sure that they're cutting their teeth on shitty prospects. Like don't give them decent prospects to read that script to. Like let them read them to, a, you know, tier three, four type of clients, whatever, throw up all over themselves. But if they can't make that script their own within a month, something's off, right? And so the answer to me is structure, not scripts. It's not figure it out. Because they're not they're not in that position to do so. I don't know about you. I'm betting that you don't like being in structure. You like creating structure, but I bet you you don't like being in it. Is that accurate? Yeah, pretty accurate. Okay. The same thing with me. Like, if you put structure on top of me, I'm like, ah, I'm gonna break this. There's got to be a better way of doing this. Like, I don't know. This is I don't bullshit, right? But I yeah, love. It feels like micromanagement. Exactly. But I love creating structure. Yeah. Right. So the answer is, our generation needs to create a structure that allows these kids to play within, but understands kind of the guidelines, if nothing else. But then right. let them experiment, let them get creative because they are an extremely creative group if you let them, but you have mm. to let them be creative in a, in a structure. Right, almost like the kind of parenting maxims, like put your kids into situations where they can fail, yeah. but it's not catastrophic. Exactly, right? You know? So that's why I think everything, so for the reps, listen, for managers and reps listening to this, managers, I would absolutely dedicate one day a week to let the rep do whatever they're, come up with a hypothesis on what approach they think would work and then test that hypothesis so that they can come back with data for you. For those reps out there that are being told to make 50, 100 dials a day and are just like are so sick of it, but can't not do it because their boss is telling them to, do it, okay? So do what your boss is asking you to do, but I beg you do this. 
We all have side hustles these days. Okay, Make your side hustle your existing job, but a different way to do your existing job. So if I'm being forced to make 50 to 100 dials a day, I'm going to do that. But guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to track the shit out of those 50 dials and 100, whatever it is. And I'm, I might even do a back of napkin on a, on a piece of paper so it's not tracked in the whatever we don't want to track. And I'll be like, all right, how many of these did I sent out? How many meetings did I get? Blah, blah, blah. But then at the, at, in the evening, I'm going to take five accounts. And I'm going to go deep on them. I'm going to do research. And I'm going to be very thoughtful with my outreach to these five accounts. And at the end of a month, I'm going to come back with data to my boss and say, Hey, boss, look, I did it your way. Okay. And this is what the results came in at. I was, I've been playing this little side hustle role on my end uh, to see if I could test a different approach. But I wanted, I, before I brought it to you, I wanted to have some data here. And I did it this way. And this was the results. And if those results are better than this, and you show them to your boss, and your boss doesn't allow you to do the better results version, the higher quality version, then go find another job. Yeah, go leave that company immediately. Leave that company. Leave that company. But you, but you don't bitch. Though, so this is my but this is my flip side problem. Don't just bitch without coming up with a solution or without trying something different or without doing what I tell you to do. Because right. that's the, going back to quality quantity. The easiest thing for a manager to manage early on, and the thing I have to test out early on is can you put in the work? Yeah. Right. So when I tell you to make four hundred dials. That's because first and foremost, I want to see if you'll make those 400 dials. I want to see if you'll be able to get through those 400 dials and have the grit and the willingness and the, you know, and the work ethic to do it. But after you do those 400 dials for a week or whatever, or for a month, and I see that you are able to put in the work and the results still aren't there, now I can pull you down and say, okay, forget about the quantity. I know you can work. I got work ethic check. Cool. Yeah. Now let me now, now let me educate you. Now let me show you how to do this like quality way, right? But I got to get that quantity out of the way first. Yeah, I think that that's really it. You know, and it's very similar to what you were saying earlier about hey, new people at JB Sales, you you force them to do a book report, you yep. force them to go and kind of like learn on their own in their own style. My bet, whenever you have those circumstances of you know, kind of like the side hustle, do it your way, mm-hmm. it's almost always successful because it's a self fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Yes. Yes, because they want to do it. They care more. That's right. When you're being told what to do, you go through the motions. It's a job. It's a job. You know, it's funny. Language, I think, is important. And and what you're talking about right there, when you're being told everything to do, it is a job. When you start to invest the time and want to get good at something, it's a craft. It's a craft. That's why I always say to people, like, you know, people talk about work-life balance. I actually think that's a, a sad way of looking at things. And, and the reason is, is because by people saying you work, work-life balance, what that tells me is we sleep about a third of our life. We work at least a third of our life. But, so by you talking about this work-life balance, that means you're telling me that you really only live a third of your life. And to me, that is depressing. Right. So instead, work-life integration. Well, figure like out, you don't have to be passionate about everything that you do. Look, it's great if we are, but you need to find something to be passionate about yeah, within your construct, so that you can have some in, in that work life integration where you're not like, oh god, you know, living for the weekend. Oh, five o'clock, thank God, I don't have to do this anymore. Oh, I hit my thousand cadences this week by Thursday, so I can go home early, type of thing. But if you if you if you think of yourself and your personal career and things that you can learn within your existing organization and actually use your existing organization to learn these things, so that in the future you're going to be able to apply them in different ways or or going to have a different perspective when you start a team, right? Those are the type of things that you need to be focused on. I wish early on in my career I didn't pay attention enough 
to what yeah. was going around around uh, on around me. I just okay, that sucks. I'll just kind of keep moving. But now, if I could go back, I would pay attention to, for instance, like when they roll out a new comp plan. How do they how do they roll it out? Yeah, and what was good and what was bad about it? Right when they changed our numbers, like how did they run? How did they do that? Why did they do that? So that for it, and if my aspirations are to be in leadership one day, whatever, those are all learning lessons that I'm going to pull from, so that I don't make either those same mistakes or I do the things that worked really, really well. You know, it's it's funny, right? Like, what's that line from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Life moves fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you just might miss it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love that one. <laughs> I think that that's one of those things where it's almost like the curse of of age and or wisdom is that yeah. you do miss a lot of those things when when you're younger, yep. and and how to get like kind of like in tune is probably a struggle for every employee, especially in every SDR role in every job around the country, as far as I can tell. It's why frontline managers are the most critical part of any organization, in my opinion, and they're the least paid attention to. You know what I mean? Like they get the yeah. least amount of training, but they're, I mean, everybody knows all the statistics point towards the number one reason that people stay or leave their jobs is their frontline manager, period. Yeah. And that frontline manager can inspire or demotivate somebody in a blink of an eye. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if, I if if I was a frontline manager right now, I I I always ask my my team like, hey, what's what's happiness? What's happiness look like for you? Paint me that five year picture. What does your life look like? Forget about this job here for a second. Five years out, what does your life look like for you? Okay, what does that happiness picture look like for you? My job is to help you get there. Right. Let's work on this together. I mean, when Morgan came on board here, I told him he he said, "I love millennials." He says, uh, "You know, when I, I asked him what is his life goal, he, he wanted to be a you know motivational, the number one motivational speaker in the world, right? Like every millennial wanted to be the number one motivational speaker in the world. It's great." And you know, look, I'm not going to dampen that. And and I knew that. Look, if that's your track, right? Look, sales training has a cap to it, right? Sales yeah. like there's a there's a maximum level of threshold that you hit from sales training. Motivational training is there's no cap to that. Everybody in the world would do. Motivational, you know, put, could potentially be an opportunity for motivational training. Tony Robbins, right? Like exactly. I mean, look at how how popular he is. So, but I said to him, I said, "Come here for three years, okay, and bleed for me. I want you to. I want you to go out there. I want you to travel. I want you to drive as much revenue as you possibly can. And I will teach you what it takes to run a business. I will teach you what it takes to go off on your own and be able to do this eventually. And so I was able to motivate Morgan, not because he was my employee. It's because I tapped into what he wanted to be and how I could help him get there. And if you can do that, if you can create that vision for somebody, they will bend over backwards for your organization. And I, I said to this to leaders all the time, if you don't have a vision as an organization about where you're going um, and somebody else doesn't have a vision of where they, how they fit into that and how it's going to help you get there, people will just do their jobs. Yeah. They will just do their jobs. They will just show up and do their jobs. But if you paint a picture of where you're going as an organization and how they fit within that equation to help you get there and tie it to their vision of themselves, you will get people to do five, 10 times more than what you're paying them for. Truer words right there have never been spoken. It's so funny. You know, I, I think that it's also one of these things where part of that vision, my guess, is that your relationship with Morgan, you gave him just about all the freedom in the world, right? Yeah. To go execute on that vision. Yep. A long rope, which ends up tying people's hands even tighter. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> I think that, I mean, look, I gave, so this goes back to scripts versus structure. Yeah. I, I, I said, look, I need you to, I need you to present to me my slide training wise. I'm like, I need you to memorize basically the flow of it, the timing of it, because there's, there's, it's challenging from a training standpoint to stand up back before everything was remote to do a day's worth of training and know where the breaks should be and be timed right through lunch and all that other stuff. So, and what slides. So I need you to, Give me the confidence that you can walk through this entire slide deck, right? Which is my slide deck. It was my slide deck. It was my, you know, examples and all that other stuff. But I said to him, I go, Morgan, if I, if I, once I give you that thumbs up, okay, if in a month or two I come and I audit one of your classes and you're saying the same stories, you're walking through the same slide deck with the same examples and all that other stuff, I'm going to be extremely disappointed, right? Now I let him go and 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 he checked that box, but then he went off and did his own. I did audit his class one time, and guess what? I had a heart attack because it was not even close to what I what my deck was. Okay. I mean, the core components were there, whatever, but it was like it was the Morgan show. Yeah. And at first I'm like, oh my God, like, no, 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 no. Like you're not delivering it the right way. But then I was like, John, hold on a second. Look at the reviews he's getting from all of his trainings. There wasn't any bad reviews. Nobody was right. saying this sucks. This is horrible. I don't understand what he's talking about. People are like, oh, that was the best training I've ever taken. Morgan's fantastic. I learned so much during those. So I'm like, okay, isn't the goal of what we're doing here to make that impression to get the like? I don't care how he delivers this. I don't care if it's not my style. He's delivering. He's getting great results for the clients. That's so that's right. all I care about. Outcomes matter. Well, yeah. and it's back to your example of of more SDR should move to AM or that customer success department so that they understand what success even looks like. Yeah, and pattern match against it. Yeah, I mean it's almost like the matrix when you when you when that happens, right? When you start looking at your customers and you start talking to them and having conversations with them and and learning about the use cases and what they really use your product for, not what the marketing brochure does. Right. It's almost like the matrix when you flip back over to look at prospects. Because now when you're on somebody's website or LinkedIn profile, like the 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 pieces are popping out at you. They're like, ooh, yeah. they're at that stage. I, I just talked to a client that was at that stage and this is how they're using us. So I, I told my reps, like we have our top 25 list, right? And I said, don't put anybody on that list that you genuinely don't want to work with. I, I, I Like genuinely don't want to work with. And when I say that, don't just run a list of your... ICP criteria or go get the fastest SaaS companies in you know the country type of list. I want you to first do that, but then go look at these companies. Go go yeah. look at their vision, their values, their go look at leadership and to ask yourself, is this a company I want to work with? Because once you make that connection, once you're like, man, I like this company's cool. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I not only are they cool, but I think we can help because of where they are. You don't have to pitch anything after that. Nope. Like you just now you're having a genuine conversation with somebody because A, you're cool, you think you're, they're cool as shit. B, you genuinely think you can help because you've seen it happen before. And by the way, your conversations with any prospect at that company will go swimmingly because people can hear kind of like that excitement and or nope. flattery and nope. or curiosity in their voice. Like, oh, you, I believe Dale Carnegie was the one who said, again, almost 100 years ago, interested is interesting. Yeah. And as humans, I've yet to find a phrase that is more true in my life. I, I tell my I tell my friends all the time, you can you can be the you can be the coolest kid in the bar by saying whatever, three words, tell me about you. Yeah. Four words, tell me about you. Tell me more about you. You know what I mean? Like it's and being genuine about it. You know, not just saying it to say it, but being genuine. All right, yeah, no, that's cool. Interesting. Tell me more about you. I mean, I could walk out of conversations where I say a grand total of like 
15, 20 words. And at the end, like I'll go to a, an event with my wife or something like that. And it's her event and she knows everybody there and I don't know anybody. So I'm just introducing myself. And at the end, like people are coming up, like, your husband's awesome. I absolutely love him. Da, da, da. And she's like, what the hell did you do out there? I'm like, I actually didn't do shit. I just asked a whole bunch of questions about them and let them talk. Yeah. And now I'm the hero because too many people are one uppers or thinking about the next thing they're going to say or, you know, had this pre canned question because it's a good one and, you know, but they don't really care. You know what I mean? Like that. And that's the part I, the hard part is teaching genuine curiosity. I, I think, you know, if I, if I was blessed with a few things, that was, that's one of them. I, I always knew that I'm not the smartest kid in the, you know, in the, in the school, anyways. So I think that's to my benefit because when I'm in a room, uh, like I'm, I'm, I just, I want to learn. I mean, that's why I started my podcast, for instance. The reason I started my podcast was because this is the way I learn. I don't learn yeah. by reading books. I don't learn by sitting in lectures. I learn by talking to people who are smarter than me and asking them and being genuinely curious about what they do and how they do it and what, they, what their experience has been. And I pull all of that into my head to make decisions on my end. So, so smart. <laughs> and what a perfect segue. Oh my gosh, I, I can't even believe the time and how it's just <la> like flown by. So for those in the audience that want to learn more about you, yeah. potentially connect with you and tell me about you, John yeah, yes, Thanks. I <laughs> uh, appreciate it. Yeah. Um, look, there's a bunch of ways. Um, I think the easiest is go to my new website. So I, my company's name is JB Sales, right? So if you go to J and, and the company, it's actually jbarrows.com. So J-B-A-R-R-O-W-S.com. But we switched the name to JB Sales. That's where you can find all sorts of information. We run daily events, live webinars, tons of content and everything else. But for me, I've, I'm actually going off. Um, I'm still obviously run the company, but I also have my own website, John M as in Michael Barrows. So johnmbarrows.com. That's where you'll see my podcast and you can connect with me on all the different social channels. And, and the last thing I'll say is my handle, if you want to, if you want free, if anybody wants some free consulting, I, I do actually most of my uh, one-on-one support through Instagram. Uh, so mm. Instagram is John M Barrows. That's my handle. Same thing as the website. Same thing with TikTok. I'm exp- <laughs> I, I just started experimenting with TikTok about three weeks ago and uh, it's an interesting world. So if anybody wants to come over and just watch me get my handed to me on TikTok. Uh, it's the same handle, John M. Barrows. That's awesome. That's great. Well, John, this has been a wonderful discussion. You know, I think there's just so many nuggets of insight and, and just perspectives that I'm so happy you had a chance to share with, with us and our audience. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I love what you guys are doing to help elevate the profession here. So 